It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, Bengals fans, we cover the NFL memo that just went out to teams on May 15th that clubs can reopen their facilities. There are a lot of restrictions on this reopening, however, and we will talk about those restrictions, get you up to date on the latest news from the NFL in their moves toward keeping things going. The NFL continues to put out memos and do business as if they plan to open the regular season on time, and time will tell if that plan holds up. In addition to that, we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about the offensive line. This was heavily in the attention of Bengals media late last week. And I've been thinking, James, for a while now that Jim Turner was coaching for his job this year. And turns out that might not be the case. If you look at the history between him and Zach Taylor, he might have a little bit more leash than we thought. So we'll get into all those topics today, and we're going to start with this news of team facilities reopening on Tuesday. James, they have some pretty strict limitations on what's allowed in this first phase of reopening. According to this memo from Commissioner Goodell on May 15th, clubs may have no more than 50% of staff in the facility not to exceed 75 people, and this is a total for all club locations for those clubs that have maybe an indoor practice facility or multiple places that their personnel work. Across facilities, 50%, 75-person max. I think for the Bengals, you're probably going to hit that 50% before you get to that 75-person number. I, I think so, too. I think that's fair to say. And, and it's, it really depends on how you look at this, right? You could take a glass, glass half-full approach and say, wow, facilities, they could reopen as long as the, the local and state governments allow it and they adhere to these safety protocols, and you can look at it that way. Or you could say, Zach Taylor can't go to Paul Brown Stadium after they reopen. Coaches aren't allowed there. Players that aren't rehabbing aren't allowed there. So they're really just scratching the surface here and kind of testing the waters as they slowly reopen things. So it depends on how you look at it. You could take a positive approach or a negative approach. But uh, I, I do think that the Bengals will reopen this week, and it uh, it is – I'll do the glass half full. I think it is a good sign – even though it's just uh, the start of what's going to be a really long process this offseason. Yeah, so let's get into some of the additional restrictions here. No members of the coaching staff may return to the facility is the second bullet point in this memo. This is important, says Roger Goodell, to ensure equity 
among the 32 clubs. Clubs may otherwise decide which employees may return to the facility, which may include members of the personnel, football operations, football administration, equipment, medical staff, and nutritionists. There's one exception to the coaching rule, which is that if your strength and conditioning coach is currently participating in player rehabilitation, he may continue to work in the facility. So that's one coach that might be allowed back in. The next limiting bullet point is no players may be in the facility other than those currently undergoing medical rehabilitation or treatment. So James, to your point, pretty limited reopening here, but this might mean if AJ Green's in town, he could go do some rehab. If Marcus Bailey, the rookie linebacker from Purdue, is in Cincinnati, he could go in potentially to do some rehab. And maybe that's actually not true. I'm not sure how to work with rookies because he hasn't signed his deal yet. But the other thing that I think is interesting is this potentially opens the door for medicals for those guys that are still unrestricted free agents in the near future. That's a huge part of it, right, is you can get that little waiver out of the way in their contracts that they agree to by getting the contracts official with the physicals. The other thing, we talk about Joe Burrow wanting to work out with these wide receivers and how he's text with A.J. Green and how there's leadership there. What if A.J. says, all right, well, I, I can get a little rehab done on this ankle, get it looked over. It, as I continue to negotiate with the, the Cincinnati Bengals on a potential extension, it also gets me to Cincinnati. So then I can have Joe, who lives in Athens, drive down and meet me and we can run some routes. So I, I think it does open the door for that potentially. Uh, green, an excuse to get the Cincinnati is allowed to now and work out at the, uh, the team facilities if he needs any type of rehab. And two, he could connect with Burrow and get some work in on the field. It'll be interesting to see if we get any names of the players that come in for rehab because currently, I just kind of went through the list before we started recording. I couldn't really find many guys that I thought, A.J. Green, is is he currently rehabbing? Is he fully rehabbed at this point? I expect that he's probably fully rehabbed at this point. Marcus Bailey coming off his ACL said he was cleared by doctors. I don't know if he's going to continue to need rehab. And then you're not really hearing about many other players The remainder of the memo says that retail and other customer-facing activities are not authorized to reopen. So the Bengals, there was some discussion about reopening the pro shop. Sounds like that will not be authorized in the first phase. And of course, some reporting things. You must promptly report any incidents of COVID-19 in the facility to Dr. Sills, who is the NFL's infection control officer, I believe. It'll be interesting to see if there is any of this prevalence in the NFL community because The MLB, many of you might have seen, did antibody testing for over 5,000 employees and a very infinitesimal group of those employees tested for having the antibody. So we'll see if there's any prevalence in the NFL community. You're right. You're going to get, this is going to be, this is kind of like a a soft opening and you hope for the Bengals and for the rest of the 32 NFL teams that it goes well and that they can move on to phase two. And the other part about this that's worth mentioning while we're thinking about players potentially returning to the facilities for rehab, first-round pick Jonah Williams. We talk about him all the time, right? Uh, After he missed all of last year with that that shoulder, he's going to start at left tackle this year. Is he 100%? I know he returned to the field in December, obviously didn't take a snap, didn't return to action. Does he need any more rehab with that shoulder? Is there anything there that he could be doing to make sure he's not only 100%, but much better than he was prior to the injury. I I think that's another guy that you could keep an eye on and and maybe could return to Cincinnati for rehab or any, any sort of training to make sure he's ready to go this year. And that's a great transition to our discussion about the offensive line and getting healthy. 
James, how do you get healthy as you eat built bars? They're going to help you get all that additional nutrition you're not getting in your main diet. James, you love to talk about the macros. We love to talk about the taste. And the good listeners can get $10 off right now. What flavor of built bar did you have today, James? I had the coconut almond today. Switched it up a little bit. Coconut almond, uh, only 130 calories, 18 grams of protein, only three grams of sugar. And gyms are reopening in Ohio at the end of this month. So if you're in Ohio, you got to keep your, your protein intake so you, you can be good to go to repair those muscles. So make sure you order Built Bar, like Jake said. Promo code LOCKDOWN to get you $10 off at BuiltBar.com. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. When I got on the plane, I had already watched tape of him Loved him, and when they handed the roster to me, he was on our team, and I was very happy. When we landed, I found out they put him on the other team, and I wasn't very happy. He was the best tackle in that game and separated himself from everyone there, no question. That's a quote from Jim Turner, courtesy of Bengals.com. Welcome back into the Locked On Bengals podcast, and that is about Akeem Adeniji, the Bengals' sixth-round draft pick out of Kansas. The Bengals extremely, extremely high on their sixth round draft choice. And the the quote there that that stands out the most to me, and there's a lot there, is the fact that he, referring to the senior bowl, Jake, says he was the best tackle in that game and separated himself from everyone there. It's noteworthy. Josh Jones was there. Other tackles were there. Akeem Adeniji, the number one tackle on the Bengals board, at least that weekend. Yeah, that just, um, <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about Jim Turner a little bit today and, and why he has the leash he does for the Cincinnati Bengals. And Joe and I talked about this when he was hired. Not only are is there like the baggage of, of his history, both at Texas A&M and in Miami, and I know you guys are sick of me talking about it and you want me to stop being a snowflake or whatever, and I, I don't really talk about it anymore, but the, the the issue is that he's also never coached a good offensive line. So I, I, I do wonder where the leash comes from. He is very well respected by Zach Taylor. And when you listen to the Bengals players talk about him, you listen to players in the Senior Bowl talk about him, they really like him. But this opinion of Akima Genogy, I feel like is, is uh, unique. We'll call it unique. Except for Matt Minnick. Matt Minnick is one other guy. And, and I love Matt Minnick's work. He, he's on Twitter, at Coach Minnick. He did a whole piece on Cincy Jungle saying, here's why Hakeem Adeniji is this dark horse guy I like, this developmental guy I like. I don't know where developmental in three th- over 3,000 college snaps, like that's two sides of a scale that I feel like 
you know, don't, don't necessarily, uh, come out to, to be equal or whatever, but in his piece on cincyjungle.com, he summarizes the film breakdown of Akeem Adenergy by saying he's a smart athletic player, which makes him a great fit for the Bengals offensive line, can play tackle and guard, makes him valuable early, and his intelligence will give him an opportunity compete to compete for a role early. The other side of this is the other guy that I like to go to for offensive line stuff, Ryan, at Royal Redlegs on Twitter, doesn't see it with Adenergy. So uh, there, there are very mixed opinions here. But the idea that he was the best tackle at the Senior Bowl is a little, a little bit much. I'm here for it <laughs> because it's such an off the wall take. Like I don't think anyone. Like I, I was trying to think of who else. And you're right, Matt Minnick, obviously really high on Akeem Adenogy. Daniel Jeremiah is the other one. I, I think that was pretty high on him. I, I just looked it up. He had him 92nd on his board. So the fact that he went 180th overall, there's value there according to Daniel Jeremiah. But he didn't have him ahead of Josh Jones. And that's what we're talking. Now we're in a wholly, a totally different tier of player. If you're grading Adenogy as a third round pick, right around where Josh Jones went, well, yikes, right? In the sixth round, I, I get it, and, and I'm fine with it there, and I, I gave it a good grade. But to, to your point, like, do they really think he's a piece? Because to me, I think Adenogy's ceiling, and I'm not saying they're similar players; they obviously play different spots. But you're hoping Adenogy becomes a Trey Hopkins where he just develops, he's extremely intelligent, and over a couple of years, you look up and suddenly he has a a starting spot, and he's a guy that you can plug in and feel good about as a a starter. But that, to me, is his ceiling. I don't know. What what, what say you there? I mean, it it is interesting that the Bengals are so high on him, and yet he fell to the sixth round. I mean, the the thing that you hope for with Hakeem Adenergy is he played at Kansas, which is notoriously not a good football program, and if he had gotten better coaching, maybe he would be a better player because he does have some of those athletic tools. But mechanically, he's going to have to learn some entirely different skills. He's going to have to learn a new stance. He's going to have to learn new footwork. He's going to have to learn new hand technique. And so for a guy that was a four-year starter, how much of that, how long is that going to take? Because how much do you have to unlearn, relearn, right? And and so it's really going to, his success is most likely going to boil down to his ability to learn, to be coached, and they must have a good feel for that with how much they like him. And I don't want to say it was a bad pick. I don't want you guys to think that, oh, I'm being too negative, Jake, get, you know, have some optimism for the team. Well, I, I like it for a six-round pick. I think it's fine. But if you're convincing yourself that they got him you know, two, three rounds later than he should have been picked, then then you're drinking the Kool-Aid and I'm not there. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I don't think you could. Because where did they have, what's a realistic, like if I had to guess, and I, I don't know where they had a Denigy, I don't think they had him as a sixth rounder. Fourth? Mid-fourth? I, I think that's the highest that they would probably have him. I, I don't think they had him as a, they gave him a third round grade or a second round grade. I, I just, I don't think that's realistic. And I also think that they did give Josh Jones a third-round grade. So when you look at that, maybe Josh Jones was higher on their board, but it doesn't sound like it, at least based on what he said, this quote, which is pretty telling. He was the best tackle at the Senior Bowl. And so maybe the Bengals were just that much higher on him. But if they were and tackle an offensive line as a position of need, wouldn't you have taken him earlier than round six? That's the other question here because they, they passed on him five times. 
They pass on him five times, and it's a position that we perceive as a position of need. I think it's worth noting, you know, best tackle at the Senior Bowl hype. During one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl, Hakeem Adeniji played left guard and right guard. He didn't play mm-hmm. tackle. And, and Brian Callahan actually talked about that after they drafted him. And the reason he moved to guard, according to Callahan, was the fact that there were so many tackles there. That just from a number standpoint, it was easier to play him with the guards. Who knows if that's the case or not? Obviously, he's versatile. That's one of his strengths. But uh, I I do think the Bengals view him as a tackle right now. And, I mean, that's obvious, right? When you listen to Jim Turner say he's the best tackle at the Senior Bowl, that just is, (laughs) man, just get out of your own way a little bit is, is all I'm saying. Like, treat him as a versatile backup piece. Great. Don't talk about him as if, you know, that's not fair to the guy. Don't don't hype him up that way. He's a six-round pick, I think, for a reason, and he has tools. And you, if he responds well to coaching and, and, it, and it clicks, then great. You have a guy that has exceeded expectations in the sixth round. But I just think that uh, expectations has been such an issue for the Bengals. You know, drafting guys like Cedric Abway, he gets drafted in the first round. Well, now he's a first-round tackle. Well, he should have never been a first-round tackle, most likely, but the Bengals saw something there. He didn't respond to the coaching, right? Paul Alexander talks about how he has the best feet he's ever seen in a tackle, and and then he never learns the rest. And he and he did. He did have good feet in a lot of ways. He did have agility in a lot of ways, but he didn't test. So you, you never had that confirmed, and, and then he never learns the rest. So for Adenergy, some technique things that he'll have to learn. But this is just one piece of the offensive line, right? So we're not going to spend the entire episode talking about Hakeem Adenergy. It's just that that quote just makes me think so hard about Jim Turner. So let's talk about Jim Turner for a minute, James. And then we'll talk about the rest of the offensive line in segment three. Jim Turner and Zach Taylor, obviously, we've talked about the connections go back to Texas A&M. Somebody tweeted me this week said that the rumors are that when Turner was hired at A&M, he was part of the reason that Zach Taylor got his job as an offensive assistant. Of course, his father-in-law, Mike Sherman, was in charge at A&M. So that's, I don't know how true it is that Jim Turner lobbied for Taylor to get a graduate assistant job, but that is where they started working together. What we do have documented in a news article from when Zach Taylor went to UC is that Jim Turner knows Tommy, Tommy Tuberville and advocated for Zach Taylor to get that job in Cincinnati. And that was a big a big job for him, right? He's an offensive coordinator at a low major college program. So these guys go back quite a ways. And when I was saying stuff like, oh, I think Jim Turner is coaching for his job this year. He's really betting on himself. Well, maybe he has more leash than, than I would like to think because of this relationship with, with Zach Taylor. It feels like they're tied together. Because you look at the relationship between the two. You broke it down well. Zach Taylor isn't on the hot seat yet by any stretch. This, in many ways, is year one of evaluating whether or not he can be a play caller and an effective head coach and all of those things. Jim Turner, if the offensive line struggles again this year, well, then they'll point to lack of talent and invest in it next offseason. So I think there's still at least two seasons, regardless of how this goes, unless it just is really awful for Turner I'm with you. I think that it'll be at least two years before you see a change in offensive line coach. And that could go hand in hand with Taylor, depending on how successful or how big of a failure they are 
this season. But uh, I, I think they'll be given both given a little more leash than just this year for sure. I definitely say for Taylor. And if they are tied together, well, then I guess that just kind of is what it is. I just go back to when they were trying to put together their coaching staff and Washington said, nope, Bill Callahan, you're not allowed to leave. We're going to deny the Bengals interview request, which they could do because I think it was a lateral move. It was the same position to the same position unless they offered him assistant head coach in addition to the offensive line coach job. They, they said, nope, you can't go interview for it. And, and, and you just wonder how that would have turned out differently. Because I do think from the reports we had at the time that he would have been the first choice. But the reality we live in is Jim Turner is the offensive line coach and Jonah Williams is coming back to play left tackle. Bengals.com really wants you to know that. And that is important, to be fair. That means that John Jerry and Andre Smith will not be playing any left tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals in the 2020 season. And I think we can all rejoice with Jonah Williams being an improvement there. We'll talk about the rest of the offensive line here coming up because, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, there's just so much going on here. There's been a lot of coverage lately that I think it's worth looking at what the Bengals coaches are saying and doing some analysis and figuring out what the takeaways are. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? No, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Let's keep things rolling with the Bengals offensive line conversation. And Jake, you mentioned that the fact that they're just, they're higher on this offensive line and in some of the coaching comments that we've heard one more thing from Jim Turner, courtesy of Bengals.com. He said, do we have the character up front? Do we have the talent up front? I think we do. I think we're going to have a good solid offensive line. 
I would sign up for that right now, Jake. I think competent top 20 offensive line play. I think we would uh, in general sign up for that, given what has happened over the past four years in the trenches for the Bengals. What, what stands out to you about the Bengals coaches and what they've done so far this offseason or what they've said so far this offseason? Because I, I think it's pretty telling that they're higher on their guys than the general consensus. And, and we've been saying this since January, and there were a few things that Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin said leading up to the draft that made me think, oh, maybe they're maybe this is a misdirect. But to Zach Taylor's credit, I think credit, this could be seen as a detriment. He's very honest, I think. And he he does, and I say all the time, he, he does a really good job of not saying anything when he's talking to the media. And it kind of sounds like coach speak at the time. But then he's so consistent with it, and it seems like it's true that that maybe what sounds like coach speak for Zach Taylor is actually just honesty. I'm sure there's some overlap there, and sometimes it is coach speak, sometimes it's not. But they have been sending this signal all along. We are happy with the offensive line. We've got Jonah Williams coming back. We feel good about the progression of Mike Jordan. We feel good about our competition at right tackle. We like Trey Hopkins at center. We signed Xavier Suofilo as a free agent to start. And that message, by the way, let's start with Xavier Suofilo, the guy that's new from another team. They signed him, and and Joe and I, our first reaction at the time on this podcast was, oh, this guy is a fine depth piece. He's kind of lateral, lateral move with John Miller. He does some things differently from John Miller from a strengths perspective. He's better on the move. He's more athletic. If they want to get these guys pulling and out in space, he should be better there. But in terms of results, very similar. In terms of pass protection, Xavier Suofilo might be a little bit better than John Miller. So when you see that move, you think this is a good insurance piece if they can't find an upgrade. They didn't find an upgrade. We'll talk about Larry Warford again in a minute here. But they are currently presuming that Xavier Suofilo is going to come in and be a starter after he couldn't start in Dallas and after he was a bit of a bust. Why do they think that they can fix Xavier Suofilo, make him a quality NFL starter when the rest of the NFL can't? This is their general opinion of the offensive line, is that they can make it better. And, and so to us on the outside, this looks like hope is a plan, right? To the Bengals coaches, I guess. They're saying, we know these guys, we think we can coach them up. So it is a bit of a difference from their perspective than from our perspective because they have a little bit more control over it than we do. Well, a lot more than we do, right? But from the outside, the range of projections, and I've talked about this a lot, James, you're probably sick of me talking about it at this point, for a lot of positions on the Bengals, wide receiver, offensive line, quarterback, secondary, there's just this wide range of outcomes and you don't really know what you're going to get at any of those spots yet. And, and that's exactly what the offensive line is, is it's a bunch of guys that they think they can get the most out of. Jonah Williams, the uh, 11th overall pick in 2019, they think that they could turn him into a quality left tackle starter right away from the get-go, first NFL snap. Maybe, you know, that that could happen, but they also think they're going to get the most out of Mike Jordan, and he's going to develop into a quality starter. We know what Trey Hopkins is. On the right side, you're right. Xavier Suofilo, let's call it like it is. He was the 33rd overall pick. He didn't sign a second uh, a second contract with Houston after getting drafted there. He signs in Dallas, underwhelming there, doesn't start. He has been a bust. It's just the reality of he's a borderline first-round pick. And so we'll see if they can get the most out of him. 
And then we know what right tackle looks like, whether it's Bobby Hart or Fred Johnson, maybe Akeem Adeniji gets in the mix there. But it's a bunch of ifs, 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 ifs. So I think even if the the realistic way to look at it, even if the Bengals do their job and, they, and the, the coaches do a really good job, some of those ifs will become good and you'll get good results. And a couple of them aren't going to pan out. I, I just I can't see all of it working in their favor and not having one to two glaring holes next offseason or entering next offseason on the offensive line. I just I think that's the reality they're facing regardless of what they say, how they feel about these guys. Some are going to work out and some aren't. And I would bet that Xavier Suofilo is a guy that doesn't because the track record is that he's a below average guy, that he isn't starting on a good offensive line. Well, so I'll go with that. I'll go with history, his NFL career, over what they think they can turn him into at this stage. Just to wrap up the discussion on Xavier Suofilo, in case you've forgotten, he's been a backup the last two years in Dallas after being a full-time starter his last two years in Houston. In his best season, he was an above-average player. And there are reasons to think he's a better scheme fit. So we'll see what happens with Xavier Suofilo. He's just 29 years old. He's probably a finished product at 29 years old, but he still has some tread left on those tires from an athleticism, from a from a youth perspective. The real questions are right tackle, James, as you said. Who's going to pan out there? Left guard, Mike Jordan. We haven't even talked about Billy Price yet, right? Former first-round pick. <laughs> I mean, is Billy Price finally going to put it together? He's been healthy, as far as we know, all offseason. Does he actually get a chance? Because talk about a star-crossed career, comes into the league with a pec injury. Last year misses a lot of the offseason program with the plantar fascia, with the, with the foot. And this year, he might not get an offseason program. This guy has never had a chance, potentially, to get in and, and fix some of his issues. And hasn't yet responded to coaching and I would love to see Billy Price become an average player and 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 vindicate some of that draft capital spent on him but I guess it's kind of telling that we just talked about the offensive line for 15 minutes and we haven't mentioned his name until now and it's telling that the Bengals haven't gone out of their way to mention it right and Jim Turner hypes up Akeem Adeniji a sixth rounder Mike Jordan a fourth rounder uh, Xavier Suofila, like all, all these guys, I mean, he could easily, but, you know, say, oh, yeah, we, we feel good about Billy Price, too. But but it's just the reality is, is right now he's slotted as a backup um, and maybe he does get his shot and hopefully he's ready because he's been extremely underwhelming. It isn't all his fault. You're right. He's had a couple of injuries that have really set him back. You, you, you've had uh, a coaching staff change last offseason. This offseason has been unique, to say the least. So. I'm with you there. I do think he has potential. And honestly, Jake, I think he's going to end up being, if he doesn't end up panning out for the Bengals, he could end up being one of those guys that ends up somewhere else in that second contract, wherever he goes, and ends up being a steal because he goes on the cheap somewhere else and gets a chance. Maybe. I'm not convinced of that yet. There are some significant technique issues for Price. Uh, He's still lunging. He's still bending from the waist way too much. And if that can get ironed out, he has a lot of the intangibles that you want. But just to be clear, he was PFF's 80th graded guard out of 81 guards in 2019. Is that good? Almost. (laughs) Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Almost. uh, Nope. Nope. Not good. Can't be good. Can't 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 make that good. 
as, as hard as we might try. So the Bengals, uh, they think they can make this offensive line work. They think they have the pieces and this, this, uh, there's been a lot of coverage on it lately is the only reason we're talking about it, right? Because they are doing this public messaging effort. They're talking to Jim Turner. They're talking to Zach Taylor about it. They're talking to the personnel department about it. Well, let's see how that goes. Yeah, we're, we're certainly going to see. And I think it just to, to keep pushing it forward here, I think they, they can feel good about what they have and understand that it's a bunch of question marks. Like if, if they don't understand that, then I, I, I got news for them, right? I mean, there's question marks all over the line. So why not go after a three-time Pro Bowl guard that just happened to come available in May? I don't think this happens often, Jake. So why not make it happen? Yeah, so somebody got into my Twitter mentions last week when I tweeted about this because Jeff Hobson wrote in his mailbag that the Bengals can't pay his salary or any other relatively big number as they mull extensions to A.J. Green and Joe Mixon. They'd have to cut somebody if they signed him. They'd have to cut somebody they'd like. They'd have to not play one of these young guys. Well, Xavier Suofilo is 29. He could definitely be a backup, and you wouldn't feel bad about stunting his development six years into the league. Like, this isn't a young guy anymore. But what bothers me about this is is the repeated pushing of the narrative. The Bengals can't afford it. We've just seen the Bengals spend all this money in free agency. Why are we still peddling this idea? If they wanted to cut Alex Redmond, who they gave a restricted free agent tender to, there's no dead money attached. They can save $2.1 million against the cap right away. You bring Warford in for the seven to eight million he's reported. That's only five to six million dollars more than they previously were allocating to a guy that probably shouldn't be in consideration for a starting job, from what we've seen to this point in Alex Redmond's career. You replace that with a guy who, even if he's declined a little bit, is still at least above average, assuming the knee checks out. And I, I totally understand that you need to get the knee checked out. This is not going to impact the salary cap all that much. In, when you sign Warford, it bumps another guy off your top 51. So really, even if they go and spend $5 million more, you take a $700,000 contract out of the top 51 because of offsetting contracts, and it fits. The Bengals would still have 8 or $9 million left before any other moves. And, and this talk about green extension, that's not going to change his cap number in 2019, 2020 that much. He's already slotted for $18 million against the cap this year. And then Mixon, how much How much are we going to give him? You're talking about a, a $20 million signing bonus. That's the only way that $5 million gets into the 2020 cap because all that comes back into the 2020 cap, as far as I understand it, is a prorated signing bonus. So from a financial perspective, it makes sense. From a scheme perspective, Warford coming from the Saints, Burrow coming from a Joe Brady system, i.e. Saints, the Bengals going in that direction, Warford good in his own blocking scheme. That's what Zach Taylor likes. I just I don't see how this is a Madden move. This is a move that to me makes football and financial sense. Absolutely, one hundred percent, it does. And the other thing here, if you wanted to, and we talked with Paul Daner Jr. about this over a week ago, Sean Williams. Okay, if four million dollars, if you needed to save more money, if they they wanted to apply that money elsewhere, well, he gives you that option too. And if you look at it, would you rather have? And I'm not saying it's this cut and dry, Larry Warford or Alex Redmond and Sean Williams. 
I think the answer is pretty simple when you're talking about keeping that number one pick upright. So it's uh, I certainly think they could do the maneuvering from a financial standpoint. Now, the whole league, half the league at least, has probably at least made a call about Larry Warford. Pro Bowl guards, like I said, don't become available in May. So he's going to be courted. There are going to be teams interested. There could be contenders interested. Who knows? So we do got to look at it from that perspective as well. But should the Bengals have interest? Absolutely. This is a such a, a find in May that would come out of nowhere and potentially save the interior of that offensive line because you put him at right guard, you have Hopkins at center, and then you have Xavier Suofilo and Mike Jordan battle for that left guard spot. And, and suddenly you feel better about the depth and about the overall talent up front. It's a plan that makes sense in Madden. It's a plan that I think also makes sense in real life Again, assuming the knee checks out, something that Jeff Hobson points out, he did have that knee injury late last year. To Hobson's credit, he says that Warford's still young. He's a UK guy, and he says there's no doubt he's on the radar. There's no harm in keeping an eye on it. Well, we're keeping an eye on it for you, Bengals fans, and that's why you should listen to the Locked On Bengals podcast. It's just us this week, James. I'm going to take a couple days off. You're going to get some solo shows from James. I'm going to do a solo show later this week, so you can look forward to some of those things coming your way. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wildcard exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.